You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I'm Patrick Murphy, part of the Bucknuts 247 Sports Network. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're watching this live, listening after the fact, whatever it is. Uh, please like, subscribe. If you're on our YouTube page, subscribe to that. If you're listening to the podcast, subscribe to it there. That all helps us out. We're going to talk some Buckeyes today. And to do it, we've got a uh, friend of the program, Tim Hall joining us live from the 97.1 The Fan Studios. What's on the jacket there, Timmy? Oh, Pat, I'm so glad you asked because every so, so many Fridays around here, look, it's radio, right? So we know that we're not in TV and we have these liberties to dress down, especially when it's Friday. Why can't we just let loose? And I'm the evening show guy on a Friday, so it's basically the weekend. I don't even start the show until six o'clock. Everything's done. Everybody's gone. So we have really started to slum it here. Really, myself and Mike Riccardotti have actually brought him down to my level. I've been kind of doing some more of the track pants and joggers recently, and I get made fun of. But now I see him even wearing Adidas sweatpants on Fridays. I'm very proud of that. I don't think until like a month or two ago, he's ever worn something other than at least like a denim at base level for, for the cloth on his pants. But this is a Hungarian track jacket. That's right. I'm one-eighth Hungarian. My parents, they've had many travels. I'll turn around for people on YouTube. Can you see that, Pat? Yep. You got that? All right, it's good. We got the white, green, and red. So, yeah, my folks, they, of course, waited for my sister and I to be out of the house before they started traveling internationally. We never went anywhere as a family growing up, but when we were gone, poof, Let's do like 30 international trips in the 10 or 15 years since the kids graduated college. But they would bring me back an item or so. Like I've got this Turkish soccer jersey. They went to Hungary. My mom's like, uh, you know, one half Hungarian or whatever it is. Might even be a quarter. So I think therefore makes me one eighth. And I got this 
Hungarian track jacket, I'm sure, off the street. A little street corner vendor. So, looks cool. Wear it on a Friday. I get it. I get how it looks. Please make fun of at your leisure. That's sort of what the point is here. I'm comfortable having a good day. Hope you guys are too. Well, I, for one, like it. Um, I'm not wearing anything that fancy. But I do have a beer. A uh, New Belgium triple Belgian style ale is what I'm going with today. So it's kicking off the weekend the right way. I love it, Pat. I I love it. I don't even know if I could throw out a Hungarian beer. Could you? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Where's Heineken from? Amsterdam? I think that is where it is originally from. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's where it like is still rooted. Yeah. Like, Budweiser, no longer an American beer, if you're talking about where it's owned by and things like that. So I don't know what the deal is with Heineken. Yeah, but that, I mean, if we get into semantics, I'm, I'm going to allow, I mean, come on now. Budweiser is a true American beer. Right. St. Louis, man, that's your town. It is. It is. There's still a, the giant Budweiser plant, though there's one here too in Columbus. So um, it's everywhere now. It's Budweiser. It's Bud, right? right? Does, does the Budweiser plant here in Columbus do tours, though? Do they do tastings? I don't know. To be honest, I've never ventured up that way. The closest I know that. Yeah, the closest I've ever come was uh, buying kegs in college. We had to go like there's a keg store right by Budweiser plant, but I've bought kegs in a long time. So. Oh man, I've been to that. I've been to the St. Louis brewery. We hit that one up in when we were in college. We also hit the Coors Brewing Company in Golden, Colorado. I don't know if you've been there. That's that's a must try. That had a better tasting experience than the main brewery in St. Louis, than the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. You had more beer, and it was just sort of a cooler bar area where they took you to. They even gave you beer while you were on the tour at the uh, Coors Brewing uh, Company. Yeah, interesting. I've been to a few of those, but not like the big ones. I've been to the St. Louis one just because I think I went as a kid to the St. Louis one. Like that was like a, it wasn't a field trip, but um, yeah. Well, anyway, kids got to learn, right? (laughs) Yeah. Let's get into some Buckeye talk. Let's uh, I know people love our our beer conversations, but uh, they're here for the Buckeyes. Tim, we saw the end of spring practice last week when uh, the Buckeyes finished the spring game, the defense won for whatever that's worth. Um, I didn't take a ton out of the final score, but I think it was 41-30 or 40-31. to It was a weird scoring game. Uh, Defense wins that game, but it was the last of the 15 practices Ohio State was permitted to have this time of year. All the teams are permitted to have. I'm curious if there are a few things that you still, and I wrote some of mine this week, um, if people read it over on Bucknuts, but the questions that you still have about this team, because I do think we learned some stuff this spring, but there are still, I think, lingering questions over this team that kind of need to be answered before the season starts. What are one or two that kind of stand out in your mind? Well, I think for, for starters, you're looking at the offensive line, and I'm mainly mainly focused on that right tackle position right now. I feel a little bit better. I think I always felt like Josh Fryer was going to be the guy at left tackle. I think most Buckeye fans would agree, like, right, right, guys. He had some playing experience last year, got on the football field. 
highly recruited guy. I think he works hard. Like you could tell from, from talking to Fryer that he's about this. He wants this and he's got, he's got the right amount of confidence mixed in with that desire to work at his craft and get better. And I, I really, I feel okay. But if I were to walk it down, you know, least concerned to most concerned, least concerned with Josh Fryer at left tackle, even though that's a, that's a big ask. I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't going to be struggles from him when the live bullets start flying, because I believe there are anyone that walks into that position for the first time, first year as a starter, there's yeah. going to be a drop off, especially when you know what you had with a Paris Johnson junior. He's going to be a top, could be a top 10 pick could go to the Philadelphia Eagles at, at number 10. How could there not be a drop off, but least concern with him. Second, least concern with the center position, starting to like a little bit more of uh, Carson Hensman and right tackle. Pat would be the one that I'm most concerned with kind of the two horse race there right now. But I don't know. How do you feel about it? Is that the way you see it with the, the three positions we got to fill at offensive line? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. I've said it a lot during spring. This may be a bigger concern of mine than the quarterback position, mostly because I think there's plenty of talent and, and Ryan Day has a track record of picking and developing the right guy at quarterback. But the offense doesn't go if the offensive line isn't up to snuff. Um, and I was actually writing about this before we started recording. It'll be out shortly after this podcast is up. Look, I don't think people should be worried about the offense or the, the quarterback. Sorry, that quarterback battle. If you're thinking about a national championship next year, to me, it's the offensive line and then the defense. And we can get to the defense in a second. Let's focus on that offensive line. I was surprised you mentioned that right tackle position. I think you're spot on there, but I was surprised that Ryan day was so hesitant when asked about Josh Fryer at left tackle and Carson Hinsman at center to, I didn't expect him to name any starters. Cause what does that matter? Uh, right. But to even kind of, you know, say, yeah, these guys are on the right track. You know, he, he was, he was hesitant with both positions. And that leads me to believe that, you know, I saw some stuff when we were there that was, slightly concerning especially at that left tackle position if we're talking about those two uh but that they haven't seen enough from either guy to really put their stamp of approval down at least through spring practice on josh fry and carson hinsman i think i agree with you i think josh fryer's the guy but is that because there isn't anyone else at left tackle that's ready to step in i mean he's obviously the most experienced non-returning starter you know, I, I don't know what you do um, if if that's if you're still not convinced come middle of fall camp next year. Um, obviously, there's the transfer portal right now. But, yeah, I think that's a that's a huge concern for this team because the other pieces seem to be there offensively. If you can get the line sort of figured out uh, in my mind. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that is question number one coming out of spring just because they weren't willing to to kind of lean more into the guys that have been repping there. Yeah. And I think where you go with that, and I saw someone uh, in the comments section suggesting it too. Like if, if things do not get corrected, if you don't start off and it, you got to be going into that Notre Dame game, let's be honest. Like you got to be going into that week four game against Notre Dame and you're, you're going to be hoping for pretty much flawless play from the offensive line, considering the competition. I know you start up against a Big Ten opponent, but it's a Big Ten opponent that you're used to beating, right? It's it's one yeah. that you're, you're used to holding down. So I would count that as a, as a really important game for how that O-line looks. Game one, after 
the starters get announced throughout the uh, throughout fall camp because we don't have any of those three announced just yet, which I'm with you. I thought, if anything, Josh Fryer might have earned himself uh, a starting position at, at the end of spring ball. But as, as Zone 6 says, you're going to be looking for possibly your best offensive lineman, who is, yes, I agree, Donovan Jackson, and he's an NFL dude. And, you know, he was – I think he was recruited more as a tackle, but some of these guys are versatile offensive linemen. They're not really so versatile where they can play center guard or tackle. But if you can play left guard, I mean, we had Paris Johnson on the inside. I mean, he was fixing to be a tackle, but he was so good they wanted him on the field. So you had him at guard, and then you moved him outside to his more natural position. Jackson's more of like a 6'4", 6'5", guy. He doesn't have that 6'6", 6'7", frame that they'd be looking for for the outside dudes at the NFL level. But if he's got to do it for you at Ohio State, I'm sure he'd be happy to to take on that calling. You don't want to get there, though. You really don't. You want to be able to keep those guys in their spots. You want to be able to maintain some consistency where Jones at the right guard and Donovan Jackson at left guard. That can be where they live. And hopefully Tegra Tishabola or Zen Mikulski can be that dude on, on the right side. But it, it's got to work. I mean, it does. I mean, if you get to a, a month into the season and something's going wrong, then, yeah, I mean, look for shuffling to take place. I just hope we don't get there. Yeah, and I wonder, too, and I've been kind of updating uh, Transfer Portal watch sort of story on our site. I wonder if they f- don't find a tackle in the Transfer Portal that they like but maybe there's a guard there that they think they could come in and play right away. Okay. Yeah. Move Donovan to, to tackle, get him repping there throughout the summer and in the fall camp, bring in a guard who you think can step right in. And, and then you sort of have your answer there. And uh, as zone six said here, you, you know, moving Donovan to, to left tackle, then you can move Fryer to right tackle, which is where he was repping more last year. Obviously yeah. takes a little bit of responsibility off of him there. The young guys in Zen Mikowski and Tegra Shibola have time to develop a little bit more. And, you know, you can you can kind of adjust things there. We shall see. Um, you know, I think obviously the the next biggest question is quarterback. But I feel like we've talked about that ad nauseum uh, this this offseason. And if you're in the comment section, if you're watching this live and you have, a, you know, kind of your questions still hanging over this team this offseason, feel free to throw them in the, the comment section if we don't get to them. Uh, on our own, we'll, we'll, we'll try and answer as many of those. One that's big for me, Tim, is has to do with this secondary. And I thought it was positive that Ryan Day said after the spring game that the there was room for optimism, was the way he put it, with these defensive backs and the way they got their hands on footballs throughout the spring and you know, just playing at a higher level. Guys are healthy, which I think is a big deal. But I'm also a little concerned because – if you look at who they're going against, you've got two quarterbacks who, let's face it, didn't light up the spring. And then you've got a group of receivers that weren't your first choice wide receivers, so to speak. Marvin Harrison Jr. was in there some. Xavier Johnson was in there some. But no Mecca Buka, no uh, Julian Fleming. It was a lot of young guys or inexperienced guys that were going up against these defensive backs. So where's kind of your concern level about this secondary, which we saw struggle at times last year, heading into the summer here? Well, I agree with everything you said, Patrick. The only thing that I can do before we get to the football season is feel a little bit better because your hope for people improving, that's what you're going to rest on. You saw the way that they played in 2022. 
I know that doesn't automatically guarantee that it's going to get better, but I got to go with my gut and the fact that they're another year under their belt in this system at Ohio State. Sure, a little drop off with the quarterbacks they're facing and the wide receivers being hurt, but an extra year in the system. Guys playing with a little bit of an edge, I also think has to bode well for how they're going to perform when they first get to some of those pressure spots. The one thing that still concerns me is that and we've talked about this for a couple years now, and it just seems to be the way that it's being taught. You will not see a whole lot of heads turn around at the catch point. That clearly is the way that they're doing it. I must be missing something now with the way that they're teaching how to, you know, technique for a corner or any kind of DB that is just simply defending the receiver in his route. And you have a sense that the football is being thrown and heading out there. I just still don't see a whole lot of heads turning around. I've seen guys that are staying on that wide receiver a little bit more, but I I, I also feel like you're more, we're just ready to see the next football bounce off the back of Denzel Burke's helmet again, you know, <laughs> instead of him actually like feeling that instinct and, and knowing like the, the route's breaking off and okay, something's firing that the ball is going to be thrown. If it's going to be thrown to this guy, it's going to be thrown right now. So I'm defending him. I got him right here. I feel him. And now I can turn around and try to like swat while looking at the ball or potentially make an interception because you had zero interceptions from corners last year. Yeah, That's pathetic, dude. That's pathetic. You've got to have, give me three. Like, how, how about that? I'm not even going to say give me one. Can we start by, like, three interceptions from both of your cornerbacks? I'm saying combined from, like, Denzel and Davis and Igbenosin or, or, you know, Jordan Hancock. That's something that's got to be better. But I'm just going to hope that it's not going to be as bad as 2022. But I'm not going to gift them anything before we get to that first big game and they have a shutdown-type performance. Yeah, I completely agree. Look, the the way they're being coached is one topic, you know, whether you agree with how they're doing it or not. Uh, but I do think that year two, and you mentioned that a little bit of this defense, but also the secondary working with Perry Eliano and Tim Walton. Remember, it wasn't like Jim Knowles was the only new defensive coach on the staff, right? Like it was a whole new group in the secondary trying to make things work. So I think that this being a, a second year with all those guys together, a healthier group, Denzel Burke played through a lot last year, and he admitted it this spring about just kind of how he'd never really dealt with these type of injuries before. And now, you know, it's A, affecting him physically, but also mentally last year. And I think you saw that. He just, most of the season wasn't the player we saw as a freshman two years ago. If he can stay healthy, he's kind of been through that now. I think that helps. Jordan Hancock was a guy they really were excited about until he got hurt in preseason. They'd like what they got from or are getting in, in practice from Davis and Igbenosin. So you've got three guys there. I'd still like to see more depth at corner, but you're right. The zero interceptions. And I think last week on this show, I said the secondary had zero interceptions. I meant the quarterbacks, but that just can't happen again. Right. It I mean, can. It just... and, and I'm, I'm with you well on what you spoke about with Denzel Burke. That's, that's clearly evident. I, I like just the the way he spoke at that last press availability that he had in the spring, too. He seemed like a guy with a chip on his shoulder. 
He didn't care about, you know, what guys like you and me are saying about him and all that. And you and you can't, right? You've got to go and do your job and figure out a way to get better. I'll sit here and admit, you know, if we get to one of these big games in the fall and I'm seeing cornerbacks heads whip around right at the point of attack and they're ready to attack the ball, like showing some of those Malik Hooker type skills that we haven't seen here in Columbus in so long. And I know he was a safety and had a different vantage point, but I'm still going to be looking for some of that. We can point back. We can go back in the history books here at Ohio State and find some great corners that were impressive, not just ball swatters, but would go and catch the football for you because still to me, like we can talk about the offense and what our expectations are going to be from them. Nothing changes a football game like a big turnover. I mean, if you have a drive, I mean, because your offense is going to churn out scoring drives left and right. Say you're doing that. And then on top of that, two plays into the other team's next drive, they're trying to get in passing mode because they're trying to play catch up with you. And then bang, you hit them with an interception going and score again. A 14-point lead turns into a you know 21-point lead after another short drive. Game over. Things like that change the game. They take the pressure off of your offense. And the last thing we want as Buckeye fans is letting games go into the fourth quarter when you know you've got that much more talent than the guys on the other side. So I'd like to see some of the the playmaking on defense pick up because that's what we were sold about. That's what we were sold about with Jim Knowles. So I want more playmaking. I want more sacks. I want more turnovers. It just wasn't enough. wasn't enough in 2022 for a $2 million guy. Well, and you know, one of the players, maybe two that we could talk about young guys that I also have questions about are what do you do with the Sonny Styles and the CJ Hicks? And these are guys who I think fans know their names by now. We just haven't seen a ton of them because they've been on the depth chart behind other guys. And leaving spring, that seems to still be the case. Sonny Styles spent most of the spring, all of the spring maybe, playing that bandit position, the, the boundary safety behind Lathan Ransom, who is a guy who played well last year. And then CJ Hicks, while he got, you know, he did start the spring game when Tommy Eichenberg and specifically Steel Chambers are back, he's behind one of them, right? These are two young guys, though, that I just I think you got to get on the field somehow. Right. Like they just they've shown late steel or excuse me, Sonny Styles specifically in games. But C.J. Hicks and some of the practices we saw and even in that spring game showed that they've got something a little different that I think can help this defense. To me, it's just like where the question is, where do you put them on the field with what what else you have? You know, are, are they good enough to jump over somebody? Do you have to find a role for them? I don't I don't know how you make that work, Tim, but I think it's I think it's important to get these guys on the field, especially thinking both of them could leave after next season. You don't just want one season of two five star guys that you recruited. Right. I mean, is Sonny Styles a guy? <laughs> does does Jim Knowles see him as a jack potentially? It talked I about mean, CJ with, Hicks. At that position. I mean, but Sonny just has this just this look to him six foot four 222 pounds right hits like a bullet man even last year in one of the games he came in and just trucked the dude and he barely was getting his feet wet I just love a hitter I mean every defense I mean Josh Proctor has played that role before Mr. Six Year looking forward to seeing how he could close his book at Ohio State but I'm I'm with you as well I think we're agreeing on kind of all the key players that are going to come in for this uh, 
for this defense that haven't gotten a whole lot of snaps yet. And CJ Hicks is certainly on the docket. It's a good problem to have, right? Because with you only playing two linebackers, I think it's those guys feel more pressure to never miss a play, to never be out of position. So if you can have another guy that's able to spell Tommy Eichenberg or Steel Chambers, that can only be a good thing, you know, and you need to you need to find a way to get C.J. Hicks confidence up. And that's only going to happen by putting him into real football games and then get the ball rolling. I would I would do this early. I would because you're going to have the talent advantage over these first three opponents, the Big Ten game and the the very porous home non-conference schedule that the Buckeyes have, which I don't for the life of me understand why you're playing a Western Kentucky and a Youngstown state level of opponents. It's 2023. By God, we're going to expand the playoffs soon. Let's play real teams all the time. That's what we want. That's what I want as a college football fan. I don't know if everybody agrees, but that's what I want. But yeah, buddy, uh, those two players, I'm excited to watch how they develop. I don't think there's a way you're going to keep either of those guys off the football field in 2023. And if an injury happens with anyone, they one or both of them will be starting like they're they're that close to being those guys yeah and I wonder you know obviously you can rotate a little bit more than they have in the past I wonder if maybe you see CJ Hicks play some of that jack just to get him on the field and let him kind of do his thing and and, you know maybe Sonny Styles you mentioned Josh Proctor is Sonny Styles the you know the, the could he move to that position and potentially you know take that over that's not where he's been practicing, but, you know, potentially there. I don't know. I think it's cert- certainly something to keep an eye on. All right, Timmy, I know you got to get out of here, but I appreciate your time chatting with me. So those listening don't just have to listen to me blabber on. Uh, thank you for uh, for your time. And I will talk to you this evening when uh, when I come on the Buckeye show. Yes, everybody don't forget more beer and Buckeyes talk. 633 tonight on the fan. Cheers, Pat. Have one for me when you finish up here. Or two. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks for checking it out, everybody. Go Bucks. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. Thanks to Timmy for, for coming on. Uh, I always think he brings good insight. I want to continue on with, uh, with that topic. Um, after I do that, I'm going to touch on last night's The Foundation NIL event, which both Dave Biddle and I were at. And I know he talked about it on the Bucknuts Morning 5 today, but just wanted to kind of give my perspective. And then I've earmarked some of the the questions here in the chat uh, that some people have asked. I'll hit on those towards the end. So if you've asked some questions, I'm not ignoring you. I've, I've seen them in there, and we'll talk about them near the end of the podcast. But uh, as I mentioned, I wrote – I did a written version of kind of what we're talking about here in terms of the questions still remaining – for this team coming out of spring. I won't go through all of them, but if you want to find that story, it uh, came out on Wednesday, I believe. So it's up on Bucknuts if you want to read it a little bit more in depth. Uh, a couple things, though, that I do want to hit up. While we're on the defense, I'll stay there. Jack Sawyer, What what is, I think the way I put it, uh, can Jack Sawyer live up to the hype? But also just what does he bring to this team We saw Jack Sawyer as a freshman playing defensive end. He was good, not great, but that's fine. It was a freshman year. There was a lot of room to grow. Then you saw last season where he's playing that Jack position. He's moving around. He's having to read more things. I don't think it went poorly necessarily, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. 
And so now Jack Sawyer is back at the Jack position or back at the defensive end position, excuse me. Um, and he's got for his career, 35 tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks, which not bad, but when you were a five-star prospect coming out of high school and one of the top defensive ends, one of the top players in the country, uh, I think the expectations are a little bit higher. And I wrote this. It's unfair to compare anyone to Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, but that is the comparison at Ohio State. If you're a defensive end, that's who you get compared to. It's like starting with quarterbacks. If you know, you're going to play quarterback at Ohio State, you're going to get compared to Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, now C.J. Stroud. That's just how it is. And he has not been able to live up to that. Now, you could say J.T. Tua Malau hasn't either, but we've seen some really good things from J.T. So from Jack, the person, not the position, to be clear, you know, can he finally live up to this hype in his third year? Um, I just saw him. I mentioned that NIL event. I saw him at it. I think he looks body size more similar to how he did as a freshman he's cut more and things like that but I think they're doing a good job of getting him back to being that defensive end there were some really good things we saw throughout spring him on you know the edge now again going back to our first question we asked about the tackles is that just the fact that he's often going up against the right tackle that isn't an experienced right tackle maybe did like what's off but I think it's important for this team to find that production at the defensive end spots, both sides, sides. And Jack Sawyer is going to be a big part of that. I think he, he needs, you know, I don't know if he'll ever hit Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young level, or ever be that superstar five-star kid. A lot of people thought he would be coming out of high school, but there is at least one more level, if not a couple that I think he can hit playing back at defensive end. And I think it will be important for, him to do so and look we've seen it now for a few defensive end kind of classes in a row Jonathan Cooper Zach Harrison a handful of guys there where like there's been pressure put on quarterbacks but but the statistics aren't there and a lot of positions I would say oh that's not a big deal and it's not if there is pressure that's good and maybe other guys are making plays but there needs to be more statistical production from a guy like Jack Sawyer from a JT to him allow consistently to uh to get because that helps the whole rest of the defense if they've got pressure there so um you know i think what if jack can live up to the hype is is another good question and then the last one which is interesting i'm probably going to write about this uh, here in the next i don't know week or so we saw marvin harrison jr playing in the slot quite a bit during spring practice and i don't know how real that is for the fall um, you don't have a Mecca Buka who played in the slot last year after Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt and you didn't have Julian Fleming. So Marvin had that, you know, that opened the spot in the slot for somebody to play. We saw early in fall or in spring practice, excuse me, Marvin Harrison Jr. Back fielding punts. I wrote about the fact that that wasn't really something that they were planning on doing unless they absolutely needed it but that it was just trying to find different things that Marvin Harrison could do. They know what he can do as the outside receiver, the X receiver, you know, in that position, you saw it throughout uh, last season. Now, you know, where else can he, can he do some different things, not only to help this team, but improve himself during spring and, you know, potentially set himself up for more success in the future. 
So I don't know if, if playing him in the slot in the spring was just, Hey, let's just see, let, let him get some experience there, whether it was something they're really considering doing more, because I do think there could be a lot of interesting mis- mismatches in that situation or what the situation will be. I think it'll be interesting to see once everyone's healthy, how much he does there. I think I looked this up. I think he was about a sixth of his snaps last year or something like that. I think it's about a hundred snaps. He did line up in the slot. So he's done it before. It's not like this is a completely new idea. They do move these guys around, but is that something you, you try and increase more, you know, maybe have a Mecca outside and, and Marvin in the slot. I look, I think it's interesting, right? Who's going to cover, who's going to cover Marvin anyway, but then who's going to cover him with a, what do you have? A, a slot corner, uh, a nickelback, a linebacker trying to cover Marvin Harrison jr. That's that's certainly an interesting matchup, I think, uh, if if they decide to do it. Now, you know, maybe you don't mess with what's working so well and what worked so well last year, but interesting and something to keep an eye on. Um, again, there's a number of other questions I had. I think I had seven or eight total. Um, so if, if you want to go read that story, again, it came out on Wednesday. There is more on that. I want to move on to the Foundation's Spring Festival, which took place on Thursday night, uh, and then get to some of your questions here. I think Dave probably, Dave and Jay Book this morning, probably touched on quite a bit of it, so I'm not going to rehash everything, but I think this was a really cool event. It was different than anything I'd been to when it comes to NIL. A lot of the stuff that that has been done has been players working at soup kitchens and things like that, those type of, you know, community engagement type things. Um, There have been some other things of guys at stores or signing autographs. This was at the shot. And basically from my understanding, fortunately we didn't have to pay to to get in. We were able to go as, as media members, but fans were able to pay to go to this event. It started off kind of in the, the concourse of the shot where they had players walking around. They had, some different games going on, some food up there. Um, and then they brought everyone down onto the court. Court was covered and there were, you know, you're signed a table and you sat. And I think most, if not all, maybe it depended on what level you paid for with your ticket, uh, had a player or two sitting at it. And this was both uh, Ohio State football players, Ohio State basketball players. There may have even been some of the women's basketball team there. And it was, it was quite the who's who I think almost every coach from uh, the both Buckeye staffs were there. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to take time to rattle them all off, but there were, you know, it was basically any of the uh, any of the guys who you've seen that are involved with the foundation, I think were there. And then pretty much all the coaching staff, Ryan Day and Chris Holtman, there was a very long line to take pictures with them before it all got going. And then, you know, there was some talk. There was, you know, Brian Schottenstein introduced everything going on. Cardell Jones along with him. Um, a number of people talked, including some of the charities that the foundation works with. They had uh, Cam Babb and I believe one of the women's softball players, I did not jot down her name, uh, kind of MC the event. And from there, it kind of went into an auction for different um, what do you say? Different things you can do with these play. You know, there was play golf with Corey Dennis and Kyle McCord, and, and that was something they could bid on dinner with different guys, uh, coaches, players, whatever. Uh, so really cool for for fans. Um, obviously, 
this is geared toward a group that has the, you know, the money to bid, you know, several thousand dollars on some of these activities. Um, but still a cool event. If you were able to, to be a part of it, I recommend if, if you're able in the future to, to try and take something like this in, I assume we'll see more of these type of things as NIL stuff ramps up. There's multiple now uh, NIL collectives going on surrounding Ohio state. And I've had some people, friends of mine and whatnot, ask me like, why do they need multiple collectives? Look, I think it just diversifies what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, I know cohesion has, has been more on the charitable side of things. There's the new collective. That's the for-profit one uh, that just started within the last week or so. So look, I think you'll see more of these things. You know, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do with their money, but obviously this, this helps. I think you're seeing with this specifically the foundations of that, um, that Ohio state is moving in a, in a pretty positive direction. There were a lot of uh, big money people involved at this event last night on Thursday night. And, you know, it was cool to see um, former players were there, Bobby Carpenter, um, Devere Posey saw a handful, handful of guys, um, you know, even like a James Laurinaitis. I don't think there were a ton of graduate assistants walking around at it, but James Laurinaitis was there. Um, so, you know, cool to kind of bump shoulders with a lot of these guys. If you're a fan, I think it's, it's not an opportunity you get a lot and obviously it, it helps what's going on with this NIL stuff. And until there's any sort of regulations on it, Ohio state's going to handle it, how they're going to handle it. And this was, uh, this was a, a good event. I think the plan is to continue to do these type of events, at least with the foundation. That's all I can speak about right now. Um, so, you know, I think this will, I think this will continue to grow. I think you may see even bigger events, uh, prizes to be offered for, for some of those things. I know the uh, idea was to raise as much money as possible. I think they did what they needed and then some with, with these, uh, these bids. Plus it was fun. You know, it was a very auction style. They had an auctioneer up there pointing and, and whatnot. So a cool event. Um, again, I recommend if you get the chance to go, when they do things like this in the future, take advantage, you know, as a Buckeye fan, you probably don't get that opportunity to be around some of those people a lot. And all the players, coaches, I think were really receptive to what was going on, taking pictures, signing autographs, talking with people. Um, you know, I, I heard Devin Brown, for instance, talking with a group of fans, a couple fans about his injury and whatnot. You know, I think it was a very open conversation uh, for a lot of players. So again, Pretty cool opportunity if, if you're a big Buckeye fan out there and, you know, you're only you're only helping this NIL stuff, which isn't going anywhere. Let's be honest. Right. It's it's here to stay. And Ohio State is continuing to navigate those waters. I think they're starting to do it at a, a better rate than than they were early on. I think if you were to talk to Ryan Day, talk to Chris Holtman, talk to any of the other coaches on their staff, it's it's going smoother than it was early on and, and events like this only help. So that was my, my spiel on it. I had a good time there. So also there was free food and some drinks. So yeah. what, what else could you want? Buckeyes, food, drinks, all works for me. Um, I want to get now into some of these questions people asked uh, that are watching this live and uh, then we'll, we'll get out of here. We didn't go crazy today terms of the length, but we'll see how long. Um, feel free if you have any more questions and you're watching this live now, throw them in the chat about the Buckeyes. Uh, this one, sort of Buckeye related, but uh, Ryan Snyder asked, uh, 
to discuss the NFL gambling rules. He says, big loss for the Lions, six games for Jamison Williams, obviously a former Ohio State player. Didn't finish his career at Ohio State, but still uh, still has Buckeye roots. I don't know all of the rules. I'm not going to pretend to on gambling in the NFL, but from what I understand specifically with Jamison Williams, and I read the statement his his camp put out, um, he, it sounds like, was gambling, I guess, on his phone in one of the apps in a place where, according to the NFL rules, you're not allowed to do. I assume that means he was doing it at the team facility. And look, I think a lot of people, if you've been on social media today about this, have been critical of the NFL because the league is in bed with various gambling sites and you see it all over commercials during games. You see it at games, these advertisements for FanDuel or DraftKings or whatever. And so why can't these players then take a part in it? Uh, you know, I, obviously you can't be betting on your own games, but why can't they do that? I saw somebody earlier say, you know, they're playing fantasy football. Why aren't they allowed to gamble? Look, I think whatever the rules are specifically, you have to follow those rules. You want to play the game, you have to play by the rules. And I think whether you like the rules or not, you got to be careful with stuff like this. You know, it's like not not exactly the same, but it's like banned substances. There's some silly banned substances on that list, but you got to be careful with what you put in your body because if you pop off on a drug test, even if you're not doing anything that, that gives you an advantage, an unfair advantage, you still get a suspension. So the gambling situation I think is similar. The rules may not make sense anymore, but they're still there. You've got to play by them. I think they will change as we've seen other rules change as times have changed in the NFL and other sports, but you know, they're stuck with this. I think there were 10 guys or something uh, that, that got in trouble for this. You know, it's unfortunate, you know, a guy like Jameson Williams missed most of his rookie year with that ACL injury suffered in the national championship game, looking forward to a full season of, of football, fully healthy, for the Lions, who are an exciting young team that, that I think can make some noise in, in the NFL and the NFC North especially. And now you're out six games, you know, and, and clearly he wasn't doing anything that wrong. I think other guys got full seasons, but it, it's – I agree it's a silly rule. I just think that you got to play by their rules if you want to play in the NFL. And you can't, you can't do this stuff. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because I know – how big some of this gambling stuff has become in states where it's legal. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Again, I don't know everything about the league's rules in terms of gambling and whatnot. Um, Big John asked, what's going to happen with Heartline? So I assume most people have heard by now. It's been just under a week. Brian Heartline was, was had some people over, I guess, on his property Saturday night into Sunday morning. Um, crashed an ATV. I've seen it described UTV. I don't know. One of those cars you ride in, you know, the vehicles, four wheelers, whatever that you ride in, uh, back in, you know, woods or on property and whatnot. Um, and ended up having to go to the hospital. He admitted that there was drinking going on. And the, to answer the question, Ryan Day was asked about this at the NIL, the foundation's event. And basically he very quickly kind of shut it down and said, you know, it's been handled. I don't think you're going to hear anything in terms of, you know, punishment for Brian Hartline. Um, I think that 
typically Ohio State handles these things internally with coaches. I think they will do that here. Look, was it the best idea to be drinking and driving around on these things? No. Um, no one is advocating for that. Is it good that there weren't any serious injuries or, or anyone got you know killed or anything like that? Yeah. Is it better than, I guess, driving around, you know, in a car, um, you know, you're doing it on your own property. Uh, I, I don't know. I think everybody's going to have their own answer there, but I think Ohio state, you know, Ryan day will, will certainly have conversations with Brian Hartline. Maybe there will be some internal discipline, but I don't expect there to be anything like, you know, Brian Hartline has to, you know, not be the offensive coordinator or not call games for this, that, or the other. Um, I think Ryan Day will will handle this. And look, if it becomes an ongoing issue with Brian Hartline, which I, I don't expect it to be, um, you know, maybe then down the road, you do have to handle it in a more public way. But I think this will all be done behind the scenes. I think that, uh, you know, Brian just has has to, you know, lesson learned type of thing from this and, and just be more careful. And I, you know, I'd say that with anyone on the staff. Look, you're a public figure. Um, as you move up through the kind of ranks at Ohio state, be it as a player, a coach, whatever it may be, you're going to get more and more people recognizing you around Columbus. Look, the, the third string quarterback is not going to be recognized. Tristan Gebbia is not going to be recognized as much as CJ Stroud was. That's just a fact, not saying that Tristan Gebbia should try and get away with things, but as you become a more prominent person in Buckeye fans eyes, People are going to recognize you, not around just around Columbus, around the country. Uh, you're on TV, you know, things like that. Pe- people start to, to know that name, know that face. And so I think if you're Brian Hartline, regardless of whether you were the wide receivers coach, the interim wide receivers coach, the wide receivers GA, and this goes for all the coaches, you still have to be careful. You don't want to be, you don't want somebody to get seriously hurt in a situation like this. But now even more so, it becomes a bigger story because you're Brian Hartline, you're a former player. You are a uh, NFL player, former NFL player, all that stuff. And, and now you're the offensive coordinator. So it's just, a you know, it's something I think he can certainly learn from. I also think that there's the ability now to, to use this to kind of give an example to his kids. And by kids, I mean his players of what not to do. Look, I screwed up in this situation. Let's not have you guys doing that. And I think Brian will handle it just fine. I think Ryan Day will handle the situation fine. But I, in terms of, Anything I don't think you'll you'll find out publicly, especially based on what Ryan Day said at the event the other night. Gary Arthur asks, uh, where were Arville Reese and Will Smith Jr. during the spring game? Um, Will Smith, from my understanding, has been dealing with a back injury that kind of limited him throughout spring. Uh, he He didn't do a lot, if anything. I don't remember seeing him much at all out there, so... I think they're just being careful with that. Arvel Reese, uh, pretty simple. He is not enrolled yet. He will be here this summer. Um, they had 11 early enrollees, and then they'll have nine more that uh, will, will arrive in summer. That list includes a guy like Brandon Innes, the, the top-ranked wide receiver in the class, um, Calvin Simpson Hunt, one of their Tyler-ranked cornerbacks, Jason Moore, defensive line, Josh Mickens, the defensive end, Lincoln Kineholtz, the quarterback. Caden McDonald, the defensive lineman, Jaden Bonsu, the safety, Cedric Hawkins, the safety. So um, they'll have those guys all coming in. But yeah, Arvell Reese wasn't on campus, therefore obviously 
not a part of the spring game. Um, would have been interesting had Arvell Reese been involved during the spring because they were pretty limited at linebacker. I mean, when we were watching towards the end, when Steel Chambers was out to add to um, Tommy Eichenberg, you know, you had some guys along with CJ Hicks, Cody Simon, um, Gabe Powers with the second team. You had some some walk-on guys getting work in there, things like that. It is a pretty deep position for Ohio State, but would have been an opportunity, I guess you could say, for Arvell Reese to kind of get his feet wet early on. But yeah. he doesn't need to be a guy who who steps in right away, given the depth they have at linebacker. So probably won't hurt him too much. Um, moving on, Yakov asks, I was going to touch on this anyway. Uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr. entered the transfer portal. Is he a take for OSU as a cornerback? Um, for people who haven't paid attention today, he did enter the transfer portal. This is on Friday. Lorenzo Styles was a wide receiver at Notre Dame. If the name sounds familiar, it's because he is the son of Lorenzo Styles and the brother of Sonny Styles, Buckeyes. Um, the last year he played against Ohio State, uh, had a pretty good season at wide receiver for Notre Dame. This offseason thus far through spring practice, he's been working as a cornerback some. And I believe now I am not Bill Curlick or any of the other recruiting guys out there. And I don't remember this very specifically. So if I'm wrong here, forgive me, but I think I know Ohio state recruited Lorenzo styles. I think that they wanted him to play corner or at least a defensive back role. And part of the reason maybe he went to Notre Dame is because of, because of the chance to play wide receiver. If I'm, if I'm confusing guys or something there, I apologize Anyway, the point is Lorenzo Styles has has started working at corner, um, and the question here from Yakov is: he a take for OSU as a cornerback? I have not heard anything. Obviously, this just happened on on Friday early afternoon, I think, and, and we're recording this. It's now two fifty in the afternoon, so I haven't heard anything about this. But there's obviously some some obvious connections. He's from Pickerington, right outside of Columbus. Um, his you know he has the brother on the team. If he can play cornerback at a high level, Ohio State doesn't have a ton of depth at that position. We sort of touched on that earlier. So, you know, it's it's a guy who's probably going to need a year or two to develop into a, a cornerback, but he's already got a head start doing that at Notre Dame. I don't know if he's a take. I don't know if they need that right now, but it, I think it's certainly something to keep an eye on and just kind of see where uh, where Lorenzo ends up. Look, I think if Ohio State were to come in, and it's just my opinion, were to come in and offer him and say, if you want to come here and play corner, I could certainly see that being very intriguing for a Columbus kid. Right. And then, you know, again, a chance to play with his brother in that same secondary. I, I, I could see, I could see people uh, wanting that. And uh, Larry break while we were talking about some defense, he said, I predict a top 10 defense for this year. We may have to lean on the defense to win some games. That obviously is not a question, but I do think that's an interesting point from Larry Again, I, I mentioned this earlier. I have a piece coming out about how I think there's some uh, parts of the fan base that are very concerned about a lack of a starting quarterback or, or what's happening with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown right now. And the whole piece of the whole point of the piece is that's not really where the focus needs to be if you're going to worry about national championship. Uh, it's more the offensive line and the defense. And look, there's so much talent on this offense in terms of weapons. But I think the offense is going to be fine if they can get that offensive line figured out, regardless of which quarterback wins the job. 
But I do think they may have to lean on the defense more than they have in the past. And look, imagine last year's team having not having C.J. Stroud and having to, to put more on that defense. As we said earlier with Timmy was on, I do think that they are taking positive steps. I do think this defense will be better with the players back healthy, with the addition of a guy like Davis and Igbenosin, with Jack Sawyer playing defensive end, um, getting Sonny Styles more, you know, guys like that. I, I do think that there is, as Ryan Day put it, reason for optimism with this defense. But is it at the point where you can lean on it to win games? I don't know. I don't know if they're 2019. I mean, and I don't say that as like I'm doubting them. I'm saying that honestly, I don't know. It's this is one of the things I hate about spring practice and then the way college football does it is I wish that they could have, instead of playing each other in a spring game, played it played another team, even if it's a you know, Miami of Ohio, OU, Youngstown State, one of those games that fans get frustrated with during the regular season. At least then you get to see them against another opponent. Um, you know, like even like the NFL does it where you're able to practice against another team for four or five days before you play each other. I think that would be such a, a benefit. And I'm sure that there are those that would push back on you know, safety. And, you know, when you're playing another team, there's there's more chance something stupid happens and guys get hurt and, and whatnot. But I think guys would understand and coaches can drive this point home that this is a spring game not a, a regular season game. There's no reason to take anyone's head off or anything like that. I think guys can understand that. And I think it would just give us so much more insight into where these teams are, um, you know, especially with more and more like Ohio State this year, the receivers sitting out, all the receivers that sat out, Marvin Harrison Jr. playing so little, like how good is the secondary? It's just hard to tell. Uh, it really is. So if Ohio State is able to lean on the defense this year, I think you're in really good shape. Um, cause I do think the offense will figure its stuff out, but I don't know. I just don't know. It's, it's, you know, there's a long way to go too. And we'll get a better sense as we head into fall camp because we'll, we'll get to see that secondary against the, the top wide receivers Ohio state has to offer, which is obviously pretty good. Uh, we'll get to see more of that offensive line against the defensive line, things like that, which will certainly be helpful, but coming out of spring. Yeah. I, Again, reason for optimism for the defense, but to win games, you know, can they beat Indiana with this defense? Probably. Can they beat Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan? I don't know. We haven't seen it in a while. I mean, even the Penn State game this past year, they gave up 30-plus, and it was, yeah, JT Tuomalau had a big impact on that game, but the offense still had to, to win it in the end. So we'll see. All right, well. Those are all the, the questions I saw in the, in the comments here. So we'll wrap it up on that note. Uh, I think another good show kind of addressed some with Tim, some just with me, based on a story I wrote earlier this week about the questions still hanging over Ohio State. Touched on the Foundation's NIL event on Thursday night, the Spring Festival, I think is what they called it. Um, and... That answered some questions, some good questions there. And I'm, I'm glad we talked about some of that stuff. So if you missed any of this, it'll be on the podcast version. You can check that out anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe to it so you get the notifications. If you're not already on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. That'll let you know anytime we post anything. That This podcast, when the BM5 goes live in the mornings, um, 
you know, when we post videos from interviews, which I know people really like to, to get into some other stuff on YouTube as well. Uh, if, if you're a subscriber to that, so that helps us to, to help drive that number up. So please do that. And, um, yeah, if you, if you haven't already, we just finished. So hopefully some people saw this a uh, 50% off two, four, seven sports slash buck nuts, uh, membership promo. But if you missed that, I still recommend the, the becoming a Buck Nuts 247 Sports subscriber. Not only do you get our content, our VIP content, a lot of which is, is Bill Curlick's recruiting stuff, but you get the entire 247 Sports Network. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, our national recruiting guys, you can look at what other sites are doing. You can post on post and read other message boards, things like that. So a lot of good stuff out there if, if that's something you'd be interested in the uh you know you can sign up over over at the site but anyway thank you guys all uh i hope everyone has a good weekend our first weekend without football i'm a little torn on how i feel about that the spring game uh spring game was a little anticlimactic last week but you know still football still stuff to write about now i've got to find things to occupy my free time and figure out what to write it is what it is we'll make do until end of july when we get we get back rolling with Big Ten Media Days. We're not going anywhere. We'll continue to roll on with this podcast and everything we do over at Buck Nuts. Thanks again, guys. And uh, have a good one, Buckeye fans. Cheers. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.